Dear friends in Jesus Christ, Happy New Year to each of you. Blessings on your 2023. Let's understand that God was and God continues to be at work for our eternal salvation. When we think about our lives, we have many needs, but no need is greater than continuing in Christ. So let's always keep that as most important in our own hearts and minds. Today we're in the Gospel of Matthew, and we will be for much of this year. Taking a quick look at what we have in Matthew, if we go to the beginning of the Gospel according to Matthew, we see there early in chapter 1, we have that genealogy telling us all the way up to the birth of Jesus, and that would be the genealogy of Joseph. We have to jump over to Luke to find the genealogy with Mary, and both Joseph and Mary connecting back to sons of David. And then going on to chapter 2, we come to the wise men coming to Bethlehem. That would be Epiphany this coming Friday. So we think about the wise men coming and bringing those key gifts to Jesus. Gifts that they needed and gifts that were pointing to who he is and what he would do in his life and in his death. Today, we come to the second half of Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at four topics here. So we're going to look at God protecting his son, rage and sadness, hearing and heeding, and then finally, fine-tuning and fulfillment. That's where we're headed for today. Going right to the first point here, we are in, again, Matthew chapter 2. We're picking up in verse 13, and the Bible says, now when the wise men had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Now you've heard me say many times that when we think about the birth of Jesus, he was born to die. And that is true. That is completely true. However, though, not yet. So here he is an infant child, not yet. He wasn't born to die yet for that purpose. First of all, he has to live the perfect life in our place. He has to completely fulfill the law. And then at the right time, according to all the biblical prophecies, at the right time then, then he would lay down his life for our salvation. So what did God do? Imagine the throne room of God in heaven and God calls over a holy angel and he says, I have an important message for Joseph, take it to him. So angels are messengers and God sent this important message to Joseph to inform him of the great threat and to tell him to flee. And then coming to the fleeing, the Bible says, So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Now Joseph could have said, wait a minute now. Jesus is only an infant child. Why would Herod the Great ever want to put to death an infant child? Herod the Great's an old man anyway. What's an infant child going to, how's that going to affect him at all? Why would he even care? So Joseph could have reasoned it out and said, nope, I don't know this dream. I don't know if I can even trust it or not. I'm just going to stay in Bethlehem. 
Like he could have done that, but he didn't though. Did you notice what it said? While it was still night, he left for Egypt. So right away, as soon as that was communicated to him, he's on his way. He is trusting in God. He is living in obedience. What do we have going on in the world today? Even though the things of God might not make sense to a lot of people in the world, the Bible is clear. It is warning everyone, repent and believe in Jesus before it is too late. That message is going out to the entire world. And yet we can see how the forces of evil are doing such a great job in making the message look just so foolish. But yet, thank God that you and I are fools for Christ. Isn't that a great thing? God has made us fools for Jesus Christ. Let's rejoice in that. The Bible goes on and says in verse 15, he, that is Joseph, and of course his family as well, he remained there until the death of Herod. So thinking about the timing here, I just want to give you a possible scenario, it's complicated, but just real quick, kind of lay out a possible timeline here that would get us to the death of Herod and kind of fill in some other blanks in between. So first of all, thinking about John the baptizer, and I'm not going to give you the background information, but it seems very likely though that he was conceived in the month of June in the year 6 BC, and then nine months later, he would have been born in March of 5 BC, okay? And then when we think about Jesus, we know he was six months younger, so that would put his birth in September of 5 BC. And that would fit a little bit better, you know, with the shepherds out in the fields, caring for their flock and so on. So I think all of you know why we celebrate on December 25. I won't go into it now, but there is one kind of good reason for that. But it does seem more likely, though, that maybe a birth in September. And then, thinking about Joseph and his family, so if we think about how it had to be more than 40 days after Jesus was born, because we know it wasn't until after 40 days that the wise men came to Bethlehem to bring their gifts. And we don't know how much after the 40 days. So I'm just saying maybe it was a couple months. So if he was born in September, maybe sometime in November, maybe that's when the wise men came. And then, of course, we know that Herod the Great, he was getting so concerned thinking, those guys are not coming back, and now I'm getting really upset about this, and I'm going to take some really bold action. So, again, a little bit of speculation here. And then, uh, again, it's a little bit of an uncertainty, but many people believe, though, that Herod the Great died in either March or April of 4 B.C., so if you think about from November of 5 and then going on to 4 BC in either March or April, maybe Jesus was in Egypt for four to five months. So it's a guess. Does it matter? It doesn't. There's some speculation there. But it does seem to line up in a number of ways where we have some historical information to base that on. And then we come to a little bit of prophecy here. So... The Bible tells us this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, 
out of Egypt I called my son. So anytime we have prophecy and we have so much in the Bible, let's be completely certain that all prophecy from a true prophet that is coming from the Lord himself through that prophet to us. And we can always take that to the bank. We can always know that is certainly going to happen according to God's plan. And it's not even that. It's not like God said, okay, I'm going to say it now and I'm going to make it happen later. It's even greater than that because God knows the end from the beginning. So God already saw it happen. And then God is saying, speak it here, write it down here, because I know it's going to happen. It's already happened in the mind of God. It's already happened. So these things are completely, completely certain. So with the circumstances that took Jesus into Egypt, that was all part of God's plan. God knew all about that. And then when the time was right, what did God do? He called his son out of Egypt. So we have that prophecy in the Bible, and that was the fulfillment. And then we come to a sad situation here with rage by Herod the Great, and then great sadness. So the Bible says, verse 16, then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. So you can imagine the Magi, they were initially probably speaking freely to Herod the Great. It seems that Herod maybe said to them, well, hey, when you find the child, let me know. I want to go worship him too. And it seemed like a legitimate thing. But it's almost like the more the Magi thought about it, they thought, you know, this Herod the Great, we've heard some bad stuff about him. And maybe we better just keep this to ourselves. And maybe we better go back by another route and not travel back through Jerusalem. So when we think about the timing here, like why two years old and under, That seems like taking in a bigger amount of time than is needed. But it's likely that when the Magi were speaking to Herod, they probably told him when the star appeared. So maybe that is when they began to make this great uh, journey to find then the newborn king and to worship him. So that journey took some time and then... Of course, we have the birth of Jesus, we have the 40 days, we have the wise men worshiping and so on. Even that doesn't seem to bring us up to two years. However, though, think about Herod, think about how he was, think about even him murdering his, some of his sons and so on. So being that kind of a guy, he's going to say, you know, this child might be eight months old, but I'm going to go all the way up to two years old because I want to make sure that I murder the newborn king. It's horrible, but it seems that that's what he was thinking about here. And then we come to the topic of great sadness, verses 17 and 18. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, a voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. So hard to imagine, isn't it, being a mom and a dad 
there in Bethlehem having a little baby boy, you know, all the time of the pregnancy, the joy in having that baby boy, caring for him every moment of every day, and then having him ripped out of your arms and put to death right in front of you. I mean, it's sad enough when a child is very sick or when a child dies from an illness, but it's just such a horrible thing. What can we say about this, about this prophecy? It's not an easy one, but I want to read here some information that we have right in our Lutheran study Bible. It says, Rachel died in childbirth and was buried in Ramah. So Rachel, that would be Jacob's favorite wife, if you will. So she died in childbirth, buried in Ramah. And then it says, years later, Jeremiah pictured Rachel weeping for the Israelites who were exiled to Babylon. Now, how sad was that? I mean, here is the southern kingdom with the great blessing of God upon them. They became so obstinate, so disobedient, that finally God said, I can't tolerate this anymore. I'm going to end them as a nation, and I'm going to let Babylon conquer them and take many of them back to Babylon. So that was certainly a reason for great weeping. And then it goes on to say, those Old Testament stories of suffering anticipated the suffering caused by Herod when he slaughtered the infant boys of Bethlehem. So hopefully you can see those various Old Testament stories and we can, if we looked at each one, we could understand them better. And then they're pointing ahead to this horrible thing of Herod trying to murder the newborn king. And then we come to a short section here on hearing and heeding. So verse 19 all the way through 21. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. Now this reference to the land of Israel, that's a very unusual reference here because when we think about the land of Israel, we're going way back thinking about King Saul and King David and King Solomon ruling over the United Kingdom, but then things were different. So this is a bit unusual here with that phrase, but what it seems to be pointing to though, it seems to be wanting us to recall how God had called the people of Israel, the descendants of Jacob, he called them out of Egypt into the land of Israel or into the promised land, which eventually became the land of Israel. So he had done that about 1,500 years earlier. And then we also think here about the obedience of Joseph. So again, he heard the word from the angel. So think about the throne room of God. He sends an angel. He gives a message to Joseph. And he wasn't like Zechariah who questioned the angel, but rather, what did he do? Right away, he heeded the message. This had to be some kind of a different, vivid 
powerful dream that God was using to communicate to people in the Old Testament and even here with Joseph. So it was something that was very definite in the heart and mind of Joseph, and he obeyed right away. Well, when I think about a dream in comparison to God's holy word written down here in this book we call the Bible, this seems a bit more concrete to me than a dream. So if we think about the great obedience of Joseph listening to the angel in the dream, how much more should we be digging into believing and taking action upon God's holy word? Think about that. And then we come to the final part here, fine-tuning and fulfillment. So picking up in verse 22, the Bible says, But when Joseph heard that Archelaus, that was the son of Herod the Great, who was now reigning in his place there in Judea, so but when Joseph heard that Archelaus, a brutal tyrant, kind of like his father, a brutal tyrant, was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. So think about what had happened before they went into Egypt. They were living in Bethlehem. So they had to go to Bethlehem, of course, in connection with the census, but they were probably glad to get out of Nazareth because you can imagine the people kind of looking down upon Joseph and Mary because here she is, she's engaged, and yet she's pregnant. So they were probably looking down upon her, and they were glad to get out of town. So they ended up staying in Bethlehem. So they didn't just go there and register, but they stayed there. We know they were there up until the 40 days, and then they traveled to Jerusalem, and then we know they went back to Bethlehem, and then that's when the wise men came sometime after that. So they were probably getting kind of comfortable in Bethlehem, but how did God get them to Nazareth? Well, because of Archelaus being such a brutal tyrant, it didn't make sense to stay in the area where he was reigning. So then the Bible says, talking about Nazareth, then after being warned by God in a dream, he, that is Joseph, and his family, of course, he left for the regions of Galilee and came and lived in a city called Nazareth. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. He shall be called a Nazarene. So we have to think for a moment with Herod the Great. He was ruling over a pretty big territory. And then when he died, Herod Archelaus inherited a double share, so he was ruling over Judea, over Samaria, and even over another area, while his other two sons, Herod Antipas and Philip, split the remainder of the kingdom, and that would include Galilee. So if you have to pick between the three sons, you're going to live under one of them. Herod Archelaus isn't the one, so you're going to pick another place, and that would be Galilee. So that's how God is getting Jesus and his family to the place where he has to be in order to fulfill the Bible. Thinking about him being a Nazarene, the Old Testament tells us that the Messiah, that he would be despised. What do we know about people living at Jesus' time? When they heard that someone was from Nazareth, they were despised. So isn't that a good fit? God said it would happen. Now Jesus is growing up and living in the place where that was kind of a trademark thing. 
So that was a good fit for Jesus. Jesus was so humble, but of course, the great son of God, the savior of the world. Let me conclude like this today. So people looked upon Jesus as the lowest because he was from Nazareth. What good thing can come from Nazareth? You know, so they looked upon him as the lowest, yet he was the very highest as the son of God in human flesh. What can we say about him? He was fully tempted just as we are, yet never even once did he sin. So important. He has to be our perfect substitute, and in fact, he was. Also, too, he taught with authority. No one else had the authority with which he taught. When he taught, everyone knew this is something powerful. This is something different. This is not like the teaching of other people. So it's something that really gripped people. Also, too, such horrible treatment by people just like you and me, poor, miserable sinners, and yet never any complaint. Complaining is not a good thing. May God help all of us to put away the complaining, to accept the will of God, even to rejoice in the midst of the complaining. And then finally, of course, bearing our sins and then bearing our eternal punishment and doing it in perfect obedience. As we think about moving forward now in 2023, I mean, we have the perfect Savior. He has done everything for our salvation. We don't have to say, oh, we better get going in 2023. I got to do this and this and this, and I'm going to add to my uh, information that God is collecting in heaven, and maybe I can get enough in 2023 to get over the hump and to assure my place in heaven. Is that how we should go through 2023? By no means. We should be so certain of who Jesus is, of what he has done. Let us rejoice that we have a relationship with him. To many people, he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me. But let's rejoice so that we have that relationship with the Son and anyone who has a relationship with the Son automatically has a relationship with God the Father, automatically has the Spirit living within us. So we have so many great blessings. Let's rejoice in what God has done. Let's be excited about the new year. Let's try to put away all the old stuff from the past and let's try to be open completely to whatever God's will is for each one of us. Let's understand we could jump over to Ephesians 2.10 and we realize God has good works planned out for every single person who is in Christ. Let's figure out what those are. Let's live them out. That's going to glorify God. That's going to be a blessing to us. And God will work through us to be an eternal blessing to others. Let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for your great plan to save us. Help us every day, no matter our circumstances, help us every day to rejoice in your salvation. Help us every day to trust in Jesus as our Savior and help us as we go through 2023, help us to do so with much peace and also with the obedience of Joseph in the examples he showed us 
in today's gospel account. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.